0: Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. Every couple of weeks, we meet and discuss what matters to you as a professional project manager. We get into the nitty-gritty, the real stuff of the job, and we do it by talking with some of the greatest minds in the business, people who have seen it all and lived to tell about it. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me are two guys who will be the first to tell you that yes, you can live to tell about it, Andy Crow and Bill Yates. And Bill, we here at Manage This have reached a milestone and live to tell about it. We're celebrating our 50th podcast today, and there's no sign of
1: stopping. (laughs) Isn't it amazing? 50. (laughs) To to go back and look at the conversations that we've had, it's just amazing that we've piled up 50 of them.
2: When you're married, you uh, have a golden anniversary at 50, so maybe we should, uh, we should think about We're that. We're golden. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, to help us celebrate, we have in the studio today someone close to the heart of the VelociTeach organization, and with good reason. Alan Zucker has more than 25 years of experience as a leader in Fortune 100 companies. He has delivered thousands of successful projects for them and managed multi-million dollar programs with hundreds of resources. In 2016, he founded Project Management Essentials to provide training and advisory services. He holds numerous certifications. He's a certified project management professional, is an ITIL Foundation Certificate Holder, a scrum master, a scale agilist, and an Agile certified practitioner. He's frequently called on as a keynote speaker and is also an adjunct professor at Northern Virginia Community College. Alan, welcome to Manage This. Now, you are knee deep in a world that for many is probably still a little foreign. I'm talking about the world of Agile practices. And I need to confess right off the bat that's this world is not just, you know, outside my playing field, but it's on a different planet from my <laughs> playing field. What is it
3: about Agile that makes it so different? You know, I think the really interesting thing about Agile is it's, if you step back, it's sort of a how we learn to play as kids. You know, when we were kids, you'd go to the beach and you'd make a sandcastle, you wouldn't, like, you know, maybe you draw a couple of lines in the sand, and so this is where we're going to be, and this is where we're going to start digging. But you have detailed plans, and you just start building. It's like, yeah, I like that. Let's build a little bit more over here and a little bit over there. And that's sort of the way Agile is. And I think it's, there's a real natural rhythm to Agile. And I think that particularly when you look at traditional ma- uh, project management waterfall, it became very rigid and became very highly structured. And it really wasn't effective in terms of particularly developing software, You know, which was really most of my background. So if, if Agile is the way you describe,
0: you know, uh, trying to get into a kid's mind, it, it seems like it might be intuitive. H- have we sort of learned to, to not be
3: like a kid anymore? Have we grown up too much? You know, I think so. I mean, I go back and I think about my own experience. Uh, I came to project management. I have a master's degree in economics. And my first job out of school, I was developing a model for a company. Developed it in Lotus 1, 2, 3, release A a million years ago. Wow, we're going back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm older than Bill. Um, (laughs) Barely. And, you know, the way I built it, I was working with a guy. I was an economist. I was working with a guy who was a senior economist, and I'd build a little bit, and I'd show it to him, and I'd build a little bit, and we'd fix it, and we'd test it, and, and I'd learn new functionality, and I'd build that in. And that's how I learned to manage my first project. And then I, you know, when I had my first you know real job i had a job at the us treasury and i was managing the treasury bill note and bond auctions and this happened to be when the solomon brothers decided to cheat on the auctions mm. and i was working with the federal reserve bank of new york to automate the auctions and there i was in my late 20s as the treasury project manager and we built that project or we developed that application this is back early 90s mainframe application using a lot of agile techniques we used prototyping. The guy that was the lead developer at the New York Fed did a, had a screen prototyping program. We'd draw up the screens, and then he'd um, have me look at them, and then he'd program a little bit, and we test. And we built that application in less than six months, which you know, for the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department is you know, land speed time. Hmm. Got a little bit hit up by the General Accounting Office for not following the prescribed process, <laughs> but we had the application built. You know, one of the core of Agile is the Agile team. And you've got a self-managing team, self-contained. You've got all the resources on the team available to deliver the project together. And there's the notion of team accountability. And everybody's bought in. And they're committed to delivering this project. Um, So that's a big difference. There's also the idea that the team's self-managing. And I think a lot of people really sort of struggle with, well, what does it look like to be a self-managing team? And I think it's really the idea that that team feels accountable for that delivery. They don't have um, managers that are micromanaging. They've got managers that are focusing on what can I do to help you get this project done? And I think those are some of the key things about the team.
2: Well, it's it's interesting you just brought up something that uh that maybe makes some project managers heads kind of melt a little bit. Bill, <laughs> there's no formal role of project manager necessarily on an agile project. And if they are, they're they're not there's no project manager on the team embedded in the team. Right. And these these um
1: you know, you go back to the agile manifesto. It says you're going to have self-organized teams that are made up of motivated individuals. Right. So who's motivating If you don't have a PM going, <laughs> come on, guys, <laughs> be motivated. In the whip, <laughs> right. <laughs> so how do that, you know, a part of self-management is this motivation aspect. Mm-hmm. And the other part of that um, principle in Agile talks about trust. So, how, you know, who has influence over that? If there's not a PM in that role to create a motivated team built on trust, so who, who takes care of that in the playground?
3: So, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's, there's, a, there's a big controversy about what's the role of the PM in the, um, on the Agile team. Right. And one of the, uh, an officer at a company that I worked with was like, no PMs. And it became a, a real issue. Um, and even when you read the Agile practice guide, they're very not clear about, uh-huh. about the role of the PM, um, which I thought was very interesting. But I still think that you need someone on the team that's going to be the team leader. Right. And it's not going to, and it's, you change the way how you lead the team. It's not going to be that directive leadership style, but it's going to be that collaborative leadership style. Right. Um, you know, I spent uh, a good bulk of my career, I spent 14 years at MCI, and telecom was really a, a great place to be. And it was, a, it was an entrepreneurial culture. And there, you know, as a senior manager, I managed the, all the financial reporting systems for the consumer business unit. My boss was the director of the accounting group. And she would give me very general directions, you know, one of my favorite projects there. And we were, at, we were agile before we knew it there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the late 90s, you know, we were entering the local markets, and my boss gave me, a, you know, about a 15-page product description that had come out. And she said, go to this meeting and find out what's going on. And we were going we to partner with a, a, another company to offer n- national long-distance service. I came back from the meeting, told her what it was about. I said, I got one question for you. I said, do I assume that we build our own reporting or we're just going to get the reporting from the vendor? She said, you know, let's assume that we're going to have to we'll build our own reporting. That was all the direction that I needed and I got and MCI we had that was the first time we had a PMO for anything we had three people in our PMO but the way we got our work done was it was all networked hmm. and people from the different groups got together and figured out how are we going to solve this and i think that's really when we talk about you know self managing self motivating teams that's really a big piece of it it's yeah we had people that were had formal leadership roles but we knew how to work and play together and get things done without being told
2: you know one of the real benefits of doing it that way um, you triggered a lot of thoughts as you were going through this is you get the decision makers and the key stakeholders together embedded in the team and they resolve problems there on the spot whereas one of the problems in a waterfall project in a in a especially in a really bureaucratic organization where people aren't empowered and that's a key to agile Mm -hmm. teams they're empowered to make decisions, to, to prioritize things. You do it in an organization where people are not empowered and you do this traditional model, things have to get escalated up. Somebody's worried about making a decision. They don't feel like they have the authority, so they escalated up another level. People spend their entire lives in meetings, going through lists of things and trying to make decisions when really the team's perfectly capable mm-hmm. of making a good decision and living with it. Yeah. If you'll just empower
3: them. Yeah, and I, I, I think that is really the, the empowerment of making decisions and trusting people to make those decisions is critical. And it's the people that are on the team that know best, you know, a, a, a director or a VP they don't know all the nuance and all right. the detail
2: yeah I mean, and and the thing is the team the team can represent the team's interests the team can have a, the customer embedded and they can represent the customer's mm-hmm. interests and all of those things i agree i don't know i, I wouldn't uh, i wouldn't say that directors and vps they have a different perspective they have their perspective and they don't need to be gummed up with those tactical decisions. Absolutely. They need to have somebody they can trust. Mm.
3: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and really, I meant it's, it's the, detail, the details of the nitty-gritty of how the process works. And I think the other big piece, and you, you brought it up, and we should have brought it up earlier, is the notion that the customer is act, actively involved and engaged in the team, that yes. the product owner is sitting there every single day with the team and helping make those small decisions
1: that's so key I I think of projects that have struggled that I've been a part of in the past and one of the if I if you do the root cause analysis one of the the key factors that falls out is we couldn't get the customers time they Mm -hmm. were not available when we needed to have key decisions made we were having to to make decisions in the dark and uh, make plans in the dark so that element of uh, a uh, an iterative or agile approach is very appealing to me given some of the experience that I've had with uh, yeah. some, some past projects.
3: Yeah, and, and when we went through an agile transformation at one of the companies I work with, we had someone that um, before the transformation was the, she was on the business side, she was the requirements analyst, she wrote the, the business analyst, she wrote all the requirements. She was always frustrated. She'd like write the requirements. She's like, those darn guys in IT, they don't understand what I want. <laughs> right? Yeah, they're, they're just, we did the agile transformation. She became the product owner. She's sitting with the team. And she's like, you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't those darn programmers that didn't understand. My requirements weren't that good. <laughs> right. And she became one of our leading evangelists for the transformation as we moved into other groups because she saw how that collaboration between her as the business owner and the, and the development team made such a huge difference.
0: As the outsider here, let me jump in with a question. It, it seems to me that maybe with Agile, there might be more potential or, or danger of conflict or disagreement among team members. Uh, I, I mean, uh, on, the, um, on the playground, if you don't like what's going on, you can take your toys and go home. But, uh, <laughs> but you got to work things out, uh, you know, those conflicts out. I, is there more potential in an agile situation with, uh, with conflict among each other?
3: Well, it's funny. A good friend of mine who's from the great state of Texas, you know, said that, you know, his father defined conflict as a county where there was at least two people. <laughs> In everything we do, there's going to be conflict. It's how we manage the conflict that matters. And one of, the, one of the really good things that you do when you set up an agile team is you set up your, at the beginning, you set up your rules of behavior, your rules of normative behavior. And everybody agrees, this is how we're going to work as a team. You set up how we're going to resolve conflicts, how we're going to handle differences you know, are we going to show up at meetings on time or are we going to show up at meetings habitually five minutes late? And setting those things up explicitly and getting the team to be self-governing with that is really an important part of how do we handle our conflict.
1: Alan, this reminds me of some of the past conversations that we've had. And you've described, I think it was at MCI, you talked about an element of the culture that was there that you really enjoyed, which there was a lot of there was a lot of emotion, right? There were times when you guys would be very passionate in mm-hmm. meetings about a technical decision or should we go this way or that way. But you said at the end of the day, you know, you guys would work it out on the playground. Everybody stayed. They kept their toys there, and you guys got yeah. stuff done.
3: Yeah, I, I remember one of the projects we were working on there, and um, we were trying to do an integration, and it was between the consumer and the business market side. And about five or six of us locked ourselves in a conference room. and had this huge whiteboard. And me and one of the other guys went up to the board and, you know, he was writing stuff up and I was racing and then he'd draw stuff (laughs) And we had developed a relationship over the years and we got out of there in about an hour and people were like, wow, that was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. But you're right. We had a culture there where we would go toe to toe. We'd be mud wrestling out in the courtyard to figure out what the right answer is. But afterwards... You know, we we'd, we'd be hugging and, and, and moving on because we came up to the solution. I've been in other environments that are more structured, more bureaucratic, and we we didn't fight, you know, we didn't have aggression. But we never made decisions, or mm. the decisions were made in the break room, either before or after the meeting. And so, you know, it was a way. It's it's how you manage conflict, and what that culture that you have to get you there.
2: I used to work, Alan, with a with a, just a, the st- a stereotypical—I know this is going to probably get us some mail—a stereotypical <laughs> Philly guy, and his style of negotiating with me was, "I'm not winning if you're not losing." Uh-huh. And he was—he was a tough negotiator, but it was—it. I always walked out of there feeling like I had had to donate blood and uh, <laughs> and body mass in order to to get out of the negotiating with this guy. It was—it was really intimidating. And then you know, you you do find situations where. You can, you can go toe-to-toe and then go back and everything's okay. It's all about how you're going to reach consensus. What does that mean? Yeah. There's a lot of it, yeah. A lot of this group decision-making techniques, that's something Agile's given us a lot of. What, one of the interesting things that I've found with Agile, uh, and this is this is a true philosophical shift from the way that I was brought up doing things. The way I was brought up doing things is you assemble a team of specialists, and each person knows their um, knows their uh, their way, uh, you know. It's like a an old World War II movie, or the what was it, the Iger sanction with Clint Eastwood, you know, where he has mm-hmm. to climb the cliff. Everybody's got a function and a role, or Mission Impossible. That's a good <laughs> current mm-hmm. one. You know, everybody's a specialist at something: explosives and hacking, mm-hmm. and you know, espionage. Yep. Um, Agile doesn't really do it that way. Uh, they have a kind of a different approach. Talk yeah. to us about that.
3: So. You know, in, in, in Agile, you really want to have a team where you, it's generalizing specialists. And I think one of the things that we've gotten into in IT in particular is that we've got specialists, and we've got everybody siphoned off in their different groups, and we hand off work through our ticketing systems. And there isn't that sense of collective ownership or even that sense of the collective thought of really what is it that what we want. And, you know, and one of the things when we, you know, when we, you'll talk about Lean is, imagining the whole and when you've got a team that imagines the whole they think about the problem end to end and it creates you know it creates greater um strength across the team i mean you may not have that same core you know that deep sense of i know how to be the best eba there is right but you know I understand how we're putting this thing together as a solution and you don't have the handoffs and you don't have the frustrations with the handoffs where it's like, I have this small change, but I'm gonna ship it over to this other person and wait for them, mm. you know, wait a couple of days for them to, you know, execute the command or change the database table or set up the environment for me. I can do that. And it's a lot much, it's much more efficient as well.
2: You know, this is one of those areas that I'm struggling to get fully in sync with the Agile community on. Um, I'm doing an Agile project right now where I'm actually sitting on a team as the product owner. And it's an interesting time. But this, this idea of generalizing specialists is challenging. And I'll tell you why experientially. Um, you go back and way back in time, I was a C Windows developer. And if you go back to around 1994 and 5, I knew everything I wanted to know about how to write in Windows, how to write C mm-hmm. Windows software. Um, I was a team lead on a project. And then a guy took me aside and said, Hey, you're going to have to write your own device driver to communicate with the mainframe. It's TN3270 driver. And he said, You're going to have to do it. <laughs> And I no more had any idea how to do this. And I'm sitting back in a room. We were co-located, and there were five of us, and nobody knew where to begin. Uh, early days of the internet, um, we were trying to research this, and the, the guy made it sound, he was so flippant about it. You know, I just write your own driver, you know, and oh, okay, well, you know, and then suddenly, so we did. We had to bring in a specialist who knew this stuff, and, and this guy, I mean, that was his life. You know, he came in, he was able to do it. Now, he couldn't do what I did, mm-hmm. uh, but there is no way to this day it was still a black art seeing what he actually did and how he, <laughs> how he did it. And so there are times, here, here's my point, um, there's this idea if you're all just working on an application— then yeah, it's good that you can do some UI work mm-hmm. and I can do some back end work and some communications work and those types of things and we can we can cross-functionally fill each other's situations. But there are plenty of times when you're gonna need a full stack developer and everybody can't be that.
3: Yeah, no, and, and there are times there are times where you need that specialist. You need that person that knows specifically how to execute this piece of the tech stack. And Agile wouldn't be adverse to you bringing that person in, but the notion that the team has that broad sense right. is really the key. And it's, it's really funny because a little bit after that, I was, when I was at MCI, I was on one of the first groups that was doing a data warehouse. We're doing a client server, data warehouse, uh, executive reporting system. I came in, I was starting out as the project manager. I got involved and I started doing the data modeling. And I didn't know anything more about data modeling right. than I did about putting a man on the moon. But it's like, <laughs> you're the data modeler. And then I learned how to do power builder. Right. And I, was, I knew enough to wow. be dangerous. yeah. Yeah, I knew enough to be dangerous, but it really helped me work much better with the rest mm. of the team right. that were doing the really technical pieces. I couldn't do all of it, but there were pieces I could do, and it really gave us a lot more core.
2: One of the reasons this is so important to Agile, though, is that the team makes the commitment individuals don't make commitments and the team makes a commitment to a certain amount of work during an iteration or a sprint. And you're, you're committing to help each other to get there mm-hmm. one way or the other. And so now you don't need people in silos. You need people who are cross-functional.
1: That's so true. And I, I think of um, the, as a, a member of an agile team, the more that I know about everybody else's role in what they do, then the better off I am, and the why the smarter the decisions are that I make. If mm-hmm. I think if, I, if I'm a pure DBA, and I'm thinking, okay, the the easiest way to add this new functionality, I'm going to add three more fields to this table. Now they're all connected to other tables. There's all these dependencies and everything. If I know the impact it's going to have on Fred, who's sitting over here in mm-hmm. testing, and Angela, who's got to then document and roll out the the plans to the customer and explain to them. It just makes me think through and okay, who's going to optimize this? You know, I don't care. I'm just going to add feels to the table. I don't care about the performance impacts that it has, but I need to. So the more awareness I have of my team members and the impact that it's going to have on them, the smarter the decisions that I make.
3: And the other piece is, Used to be that if you're the DBA, you're sitting on a whole other floor. Right. <laughs> maybe in a different state. Yeah. Right. Now the four of you are sitting in that room. And if you mess up if you do something with a table that messes up Fred or Angela, you're gonna know about it by the end of the day. Right. And they're gonna be like, they're gonna be giving you that feedback. We need to change our you need to change your design. And that's the other wonderful thing about the co location of the team and having everybody there and they're discussing the issues and they're discussing the problems in real time. Versus, you know, passing design documents back and forth because we just really can't describe some of that stuff very well in words.
1: I've got a, a there's a large financial organization that I've done some work with. We've we've um, developed work for and delivered training, and uh, I had the chance to to be on site at one of their locations up in uh, the Northeast, and they have blown out all the walls, and now they have collaborative workspaces. And there's yeah, I mean, we all know there there's good and bad to that. Mm-hmm. But the beauty is they had just like you mentioned, they've got all the different roles on these sub teams that are right there, literally on the same table. It's yeah. a big long workbench, and they've got their monitors up, and they're they're looking at their monitors, but they're also looking at each other, and they're they're seeing when they're doing things that are impacting positively or negatively their their teammates. Yeah,
3: and it's it's really important. I mean, I remember um, at one point. Uh, when I was at MCI, my development team was one floor above me, and I wore up, to, wore up the treads and the <laughs> stairs between the third and the fourth right. floor. I was upstairs every, every hour at least. When they moved across the street, the level of communication and the collaboration really went down because we just weren't talking face-to-face. And that collaboration, that face-to-face collaboration, I think is really one of the gems in Agile.
1: I've got to ask Alan something. Um so let's say I'm, I'm a project manager who's been more uh, ensconced in the traditional approaches. And now I'm looking at Agile going, okay, I want to figure out some things. Mm-hmm. So could I just grab a couple of maybe some checklists or some templates for Agile and just kind of run with it and call myself Agile? Is that How does somebody get started? Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: You know, I, I really think that there's there's a lot of training out there. You know, the uh, one of the places a lot of people start is they take their certified Scrum Master training, which is a two-day course, which is usually a pretty good introduction. Um, you know, the, one, of the, one of the really great things about Agile, which makes it difficult, is the field is so rich with different points of view. So I think, you know, taking some basic training so you understand the the premises of either Scrum and I've be- actually become a big fan of Kanban lately, and it's a little bit more difficult to find that Kanban training. But then, you know, reading, you know, there's lots of great books. I mean, uh, Jeff Lyndon's book on Scrum is, mm-hmm. is just a great book. Um, I just worked my way through the DevOps Handbook by Gene Kim and John Willis. That's a great book. The Phoenix Project, which describes DevOps in really layman's terms by telling a parable, is also a really good book. And you start, you know, And listening to podcasts, I mean, if I can, you know, I listen to like Agile Uprising. is another really great podcast. I listen to their podcasts all the time, or DevOps Cafe. And you just start hearing all these different stories, and it really begins to click and make sense.
0: I'm thinking about my own career in television. I've, I've been in TV a long time. When I first got into it, we were shooting film for television news. Okay, that's, that's how old I am. And and we were pretty used to doing it that way, and and we, it was working pretty well, and then we switched over to videotape editing, and tough transition in the beginning, but once we made that transition and saw all the benefits, you know, we said we can never go back. You know, mm-hmm. we'll never ever go back to, to that. There's just you know too many things with, with the new way. Have you found that people who have never practiced Agile before and then suddenly are maybe forced into that environment, that they're saying,
3: oh, I can never go back now the other way? Yeah, that's a good question. I, th- I think that once you make that transition in your head, it's going to be hard to go back. But I think there's still going to be people where, where they've come out of a very like engineering-focused background or very, very process-oriented background it's going to be hard for them to make that jump and to really see that benefits. Um, so I had the experience where um, you know we had a team where, that we took them through the Agile transformation. We had set up a team room. Everybody would come together in the morning for the daily stand-up, and then the developers would all go back to their cubes because they were really much more comfortable working alone. Mm-hmm. So they were Agile and name-only, but they were really not getting that benefit mm. of the collaboration. So... It's you know sort of going back to where we started. You really need to make that mindset change, and you need to feel comfortable with making that change and seeing those benefits. Um, I was very fortunate. I was doing agile before agile was articulated as agile, and to me, it makes it makes great sense. Um, But I've seen people that have really come at it from an engineering background, and they struggle because they still think I'm a specialist. And I know my thing, and we need to do the most efficient way is to do separation of labor, and that's the way I was taught. Well, Alan, thank you so much for the insight that you brought to
0: all of this today. We appreciate you being with us here. We have a gift for you. We always provide a special gift to uh, all, all of the people who visit us. It's this great, manage this coffee mug in front of you. It's, it's rugged. It will stand up to any playground situation,
3: I think. So, uh, so use that uh, in good health. Well, thank you so much. And because I knew that you gave out gifts, I have my own gifts for you guys, which oh, are your, my own project management essentials, squeeze toys. They're, they're, they're better than stress balls, and I wanted to give a gift back.
0: I will use this a lot. Yes. <laughs> nice. Thanks again, Alan. Andy and Bill,
3: as always, thanks for your expertise.
0: It's been great. And a reminder to our listeners that we try to meet your needs on many levels. One of the ways we do that is by providing free professional development units toward your recertifications. To claim them, go to Velociteach.com and select Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and just click through the steps. That's it for us here on Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on February 6th for our next podcast. In the meantime, you can visit us at velocityeach.com slash manage this to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. And tweet us at manage underscore this if you have any questions about our podcasts or about project management certifications. We're here for you. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.